I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadundi and Bububun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Nungabuja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. This is episode number 113. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. And today, uh, I have the pleasure of chatting with Tayomi Morgan. Tayomi is a certified sexologist, authentic tantra practitioner, and international pleasure coach with nine years of experience in the sexual health field. Her down-to-earth approach to sexuality has garnered the views of millions of eyes around the world via her advice-based YouTube channel and interactive social media presence. She is the founder of sex ed blog Glamorotica101.com and emphasizes sexual empowerment of black women worldwide. Tayomi's advice has been featured on several platforms and traditional media publications, including Essence.com, Ebony Magazine, BlackDoctor.org, Huffington Post, Comedy Central, The New York Times, Shape.com, BlackLove.com, Vogue.com, Cosmopolitan.com, Washington Post's The Lily, Clear Channel Radio, CBS Radio, Sirius XM, Playboy Radio, and dozens of others. Tayomi currently serves as the resident sexpert and seminar coordinator for the Exotica Expo and is a member of the National Coalition for Sexual Health. You can find Tayomi on Instagram at Real Glamazon Tayomi. That's uh, Real R E A L Glamazon G L A M A Z O N Tayomi, which is T. Y-O-M-I. And also uh, at her website, which is sexpertayomi.glamorotica101.com. And in this particular episode, the two of us talk about semen retention and the introduction of that to couples, particularly to heterosexual couples and particularly to the male partners of those heterosexual couples, um, as well as like some of the reasons why men might want to practice semen retention. We also talk about uh, decentering the penis. So particularly, you know, what happens when there's no ejaculation involved? What happens when there's no erection involved? Um, what are the uh, barriers to exploring sex that doesn't involve the use of a penis, for example, for heterosexual couples. And then we also talk a little bit about shame in the neo-tantra and spiritual communities with regards to ejaculation and using sex toys and other things of that nature. Uh, and then we explore uh, men's fear around using sex toys, why they might feel a little bit intimidated by using them and um, and some other things. So semen retention and sex toys are the major topics. Uh, it was a lovely uh, opportunity for me to connect and talk with Tomi. Um we had a great time and it was just, yeah, really, uh, I'm a big fan of her work. So it was really lovely to, to be able to connect in this way. So um, I hope you enjoy listening. Sex is between two consenting people of age and that's where it's supposed to stay, right there. You're not supposed to go out and talk about it. You don't need your husband no more. You don't need your wife no more. Come on, you get mad, you get angry, you defraud him, and go and get your sexual toy and play with yourself. Just think, if you're 18 or older, girls are waiting 24 hours a day to talk to guys, guys like you. So the way that I like to start is with just a brief invitation, and it's an invitation uh, for you to share a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and what you are really passionate about. So my name is Tayomi Morgan and I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I am a certified sexologist, authentic tantra coach, pleasure coach and sensual movement coach, basically a multi-hyphenate in the sex space. Aside from being a coach, I'm also an erotic content creator, sex blogger, and a frequent contributor to many platforms online with my advice. 
And I'm also the seminar coordinator and resident sex expert for the Exotica Expo, the largest adult event in the U.S. dedicated to love and sex. And I am very passionate about just helping people tap into deeper parts of themselves and experiencing more pleasure in life and just showing up in life more authentically. Mm, that's really beautiful. And, and, and a very polished, I must say, introduction as well. I presume you've probably said that a few <laughs> times. So, um, I love the, you know, the breadth of that. I've so many of these. Yeah, yeah I've imagine. done so many interviews. And so, like, I've never had, like, formal media training. But, you know, because I do a lot of interviews and I also have interviewed quite a few people myself, yeah, it's kind of just rolls off the tongue. Very yeah, easy, you know? <laughs> very good. Um, well, I'm I'm excited to, to dive into a couple of things with you. And I, I guess the first thing um, that, that kind of part sparked my curiosity was um, you mentioned authentic tantra training. Was that with um, Debbie Ward Erickson? Yes, she is my friend and mentor. I uh, met her in person at tw- uh, in 2016 at a retreat in Atlanta that um, a pair of mutual friends of ours was hosting and I was teaching and so was she. And like, as soon as I saw her in the airport, we just clicked. I just felt like I knew her from a past life, which I'm sure I have. And uh, when I found out that she was leading this amazing institution, I was like, oh, she's my teacher. I had been looking for someone to study Tantra under because I, from my understanding, I knew that Tantra is something that has to be passed down through someone who has the actual training and experience. And so I didn't want to just read a bunch of books and then pop up and say, I'm a tantrika. You know, I wanted to have a teacher. And so I uh, enrolled in her program in 2018. And it took a little bit of process for me to get there. I was a bit intimidated at first, but um, I ended up doing a journey with uh, Grandmother Vine, Ayahuasca. And like that opened up so much for me just in my mind and my spirit. And at that point I was like, okay, I'm ready. And um, just being a part of the authentic Tantra Sangha has been amazing. Just what it's done for my life personally and just helping me to expand my own pleasure and be a healer of my own body. And then how it's like expanded my awareness in my practice as you know a coach has been like out of this world. And so just to see how my clients have expanded and then to be able to bring this out into the world more and helping people integrate these practices into their everyday life has just, it's been an amazing gift. Yeah. Yeah. I really, um, I really resonate with some of the the touch stuff. I did a lot of um, tantric yoga um, in a, in a kind of like former iteration of my work. And I guess I'm really curious about how you integrate like tantra and spirituality principles and teachings into your work as a like sexologist and talking about sex and sexuality like what's the what's the link for you how do you bring it in it's so interesting because for me i feel like um my spirituality has always been a part of what i do because it's all about remembering that like we have a body we aren't a body and so when you can separate that and when you can remember that um your infinite spirit then you recognize that you have an energy inside of you that you get to play with. And, you know, over time in experiencing this world and like the traumas of this world, there's a disconnection that happens between your energy body and your physical body. And so just even speaking about that alone and teaching people how to breathe and teaching them how to like rewire their nervous systems just through breath, there's just so many elements of Tantra and just spirituality and just tapping into your senses, which requires for you to go within that I've pretty much incorporated into everything that I do. Cause it's really difficult to teach someone how to connect with their sexuality without teaching them, you know, the energy stuff and like teaching them to go within. And so um, some people don't get with the like, woo woo ha ha <laughs> of like the spiritual stuff, you know? But when you put it very plainly to them and you just like bring it down to just like basic terms, like, hey, let's just stare at each other for a minute. Let's just sink our breath. Let's just get into our bodies. Then they realize like, oh, well, maybe I've actually been tapping into this spirituality thing all along. And so um, that's kind of how I weave things in is just bringing it to people in a way that's easy for them to digest 
especially those who are like practicing a particular religion. I don't want them to feel like, you know, if they're, uh, you know, a Muslim or if they're Christian or if, you know, whatever religion they practice, that they can't tap into spirituality simply because they, you know, worship one deity or another. It's just about going within and just tapping into your own spiritual nature. Mm, yeah, I, I really resonate with the like accessibility approach, right? Like just making it, uh, using terminology that isn't maybe too woo-woo, that isn't too spiritual in terms of its jargon and like just making it like layman's terms and making it you know easy for people to understand. And that's, I, I work with, with predominantly men, if not exclusively men, and that's really what I have to do to get men on board with like the spirituality side of things. I've got to start really, really, I have to start quite like scientifically. I've got to, you know, show them some, some nervous system drawings and I've got to show them some diagrams about like their, their diaphragm and their breathing and their, you know, the way that they're breathing into their chest and their thorax and kind of explain it to them in quite medical terminology first. Cause that like, that's where they, they, they get invested. And then once they've kind of like invested, then I start to introduce them more. Like I'll talk about the chakras. I'll talk about some you know sexual energy. I'll introduce that idea of sexual energy to them. And I kind of have to like weave it in after the fact, I suppose, right? Um, because that's because I find men typically are a little bit more resistant to the tantra and spirituality side of things. Have you noticed that as well? I have. And I think it's because men are very external, like, you know, male genitals or like, you know, penis owners, the, the testicles and the penis is hanging outside of the body. So everything is very like experienced outside of the body. People with vaginas, because, you know, our our organs are internal. We focus primarily on what's happening inside of us. And so I think it's a lot easier for people with vaginas or like women, you know, just speaking like in cis head terms, like women um typically connect a lot easier with spirituality because also too like our breasts are more protruding so we have a deeper connection with our heart centers just because like no matter what the size is like this area uh, around our heart chakras there's attention being brought to it so we are way more internalized than uh, men are and so there is a chipping away that happens and has to happen in order for them to even like tap into the deeper parts of themselves. Because, you know, everyone comes to us like with their uh, sexual concerns, right? And it's this thought that, oh, if I just learn this one technique, if I just learn this one move, if I just learn this one thing, if I get this one piece of advice, it's gonna change everything. And they don't even realize that it literally starts with the mind first. And the mind is a consciousness. You know, the brain is, is like the, well, I'll say the skin is the largest sex organ and the brain is like the second largest. Um, and it's like the epicenter of everything, but the mind, the consciousness is where we tend not to focus. And so when you start talking to men about, you know, something that they can't see and it's like not physically tangible, it's like, oh, what is that? You know, and <laughs> so you got to break it down to them and break it down. And then for me, like being a woman, sometimes I feel that like men are so um, taken by my physical attractiveness that, you know, I'm like, look, you could go to OnlyFans and you could see all the erotic stuff there. But if you really want coaching, I need you to like be here with me and I need you to be present with me. So I, I coach women primarily, but it's such a like a treat for me, when men do come to me and they're serious about doing the work and they're like, I'm ready to lock in and they lock in and then everything in their world expands because they are committed to doing the work. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I think it's great what you're doing and like working with men because we don't see, because I'm sure there are, there are plenty of, you know, um, male sex therapists and sex coaches out there but they're not as prominently displayed as the thousands of women that are out here doing the work. So hats off to you. Oh, Kim, thank you very much. <laughs> that that is a do. massive compliment. So you don't know what that means to me. I really appreciate you for saying that. Um, <laughs> and I, um, I, I wanted to speak about like a particular part of like tantric practices. Um, and we, we kind of spoke about this before, but it's like, um, how do you introduce, I suppose, the idea of semen retention to to people in general, but maybe to men in particular, right? With this idea that men are quite resistant or maybe a little bit more resistant than women, let's say, to um, to like spiritual practices and tantric practices. How do you then introduce this idea of semen retention, which kind of goes completely against what a lot of guys are, you know, what their own history is with sexual experiences? What What goes on there for you? Oh, my goodness. So it's, you know, presenting the benefits first. 
and then explaining what it is and actually how it works. So, because the only thing that men can hear is like, I can't come. And when they hear that, then what they also think is, oh, I can't feel pleasure. Because the only way that they understand how to orgasm is attached with the process of procreation. So it's like that, that hardwired form of orgasm that is literally meant to preserve life, right? But they don't understand the full potential that their bodies have and being able to expand outside of that, like retaining that seed and keeping all the nutrients and the energy and that life force energy and the DNA inside of the body, using that to recycle and, you know, uh, give the internal organs more vitality and life, but still being able to experience the pleasure of orgasm and then experiencing it over and over again without having a refractory period, being able to last longer, maintaining harder erections. And so it's almost like they think it's impossible because uh, especially uh, frequent masturbators, like they're so used to having this ritual of, you know, pleasuring themselves and then ejaculating multiple times in a day. So then when you tell them like, all right, for the first 60 days of this program, you can't come. And they're like, what's going on? You mean I can't, I can't masturbate. I didn't say that. I say you can't ejaculate. And so, you know, it really does require for a man who is, serious and dedicated to himself first to go through the process because there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up mentally around it. And then to having a partner that's supportive, because I think, you know, especially in heteronormative relationships, women are just as attached to a man's calm as he is, because it's this idea that, oh, if he comes, that means I did a good job. I pleased him. But if I don't see the come, then he wasn't having a good time. That's a poor reflection on my performance. And now I'm this bad person, you know? And so it's just as important for uh, men in partnered situations to have a partner who understands the process. And even if she's not, uh, you know, practicing Tantra at the same time, if she can like listen in to the sessions and understand what he's going through, then she can be a support. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's like a double edged sword when you're trying to do this practice and then your partner's over here, like trying to make you come. It's like, no, I, I have to like practice this for a period of time so that I can feel the sensations and understand like when it's rising up and how to stop it. And so, um, it's, um, this is one of those things that it really does require dedication because it is true mastery of self. Mm, mm. Yeah. I, um, I resonate with a lot of what you shared there. And I often say that, um, I often like talk about the unspoken symbolism of ejaculation. Like what does ejaculation symbolize not only to you, but also to your partner. And, um, and, you know, and so we have this story, right? A lot of guys have this story that, you know, ejaculation is the, the pinnacle of our pleasure as you were kind of like, talking about it's like you know a lot of guys think if they can't ejaculate then they can't experience any pleasure but we just know that's not true right we know that even if you're not even having an orgasm sex is still pleasurable like whether you had an orgasm or not right you can still have pleasurable experiences regardless of ejaculation and orgasm so a whole area of education that I, that I work around with men but then also I talk about like well women have the same stories about our ejaculation and about male sexuality that we have right they they aren't getting taken off into some other corner of the schoolyard and told something different about male sexuality. We get the same story. So, um, so like a lot of women think that men, if they don't ejaculate, didn't have a good time, right? That they didn't experience pleasure as you were, as you were kind of saying. And so, um, and so I talk about like how experimenting without ejaculating by making that decision together as a, as a couple, right? Ejaculation retention or semen retention is a couple's practice in that regard. Um, then you can mindfully start to challenge those stories. You can start to like go, Oh, you know, he's not ejaculating. What does that mean for me? Does that mean I'm not attractive enough? Does that mean I didn't like, he wasn't, you know, didn't enjoy the sex that we had. And you can start to like have conversations about those and you can start to like dispel the, the, that, the, the myth behind like what ejaculation actually means and starts like rewrite the, the symbolism for you. So, um, yeah, I often speak about that with couples and especially like this idea of, um, I've spoken to a lot of women with regards to like, you know, semen retention and, and like the, the benefits of it for, for them as a, as a couple. And, um, 
and something that I, you know, came to realize having spe- speaking to a lot of women about this is like women are actively trying to make their, their male partner come, right? Like there's, and, and even like as quickly as possible in some respects as well. Like if, if the sex is pretty shit and they're not really enjoying themselves, then, you know, one of the things that women can do, and I know from speaking to a lot of women about this is they will try and make him come quicker. So the sex is over sooner, right? And so like owning that is like a really powerful thing for a lot of women to kind of realize is like they can go, oh, I am trying to rush this by making him come quicker. Maybe if I just catch myself from doing that and focus more on like, okay, let's focus on pleasure. Let's focus on just connecting with each other. And maybe that looks like not penetrative sex, right? Because that might lead quicker towards an ejaculation. So let's like focus on what else we can do sexually together. And it really starts to, um, at least I found anyway in my work, like broaden um, people's kind of perspective as what sex can entail and what it can include. And really like invites you to to go, well, if ejaculation's not on the table, what else is there, right? How do we know when sex is finished if we're not ejaculating? Like, what else do we do, right? Um, and so, it's a really good invitation piece, I find, for couples to start to expand what sex looks like for the two of them. That's an interesting piece. Like, what does sex look like if ejaculation isn't the end? And I hear that question all the time, especially like I put up a post on uh, my Instagram about semen retention because uh, American rapper, um, Joey Badass said that he practiced this, that he practices semen retention. And so in the comments, like there were so many women who were just like, so then when does sex end, you know? And that's, it's so, that's such an interesting question because it's like, you, that, that is an indication that they're not really tapped in, that they're actually not tapped into feeling pleasure, but just looking for, like you said, that pinnacle, that point of like, okay, this is what I was aiming for. And, you know, sex is pretty much orgasm based for many of us because of the, the programming and the education that's out there. And what's been happening in like recent years is the shift from orgasm based to pleasure based. And so if you're focused more on filling up your cup, right, of what makes you feel yummy, like just what makes your body feel alive and electric, right? then you're not trying to chase this thing, which then creates a disconnect between you being present, you being with your partner. It's like, you're just looking for the moment to say, ah, okay, here it is. Let's just keep going to get this thing, right? And so sex will end when you say, okay, I feel full. And then after that, it can be whatever aftercare, you know, to bring you both back down to your, you know, your resting state and, it could be a beautiful thing, but if you expand, like you said, if you, if you expand outside of just orgasm focus or ejaculation focus and look at outside of penetration, what else can you do to connect? Because that's, I think, at the core or the baseline of what everybody is looking for when it comes to joining with their partners sexually is connection and intimacy. It's just through, you know, experiencing it through our sexual energy but it's like outside of penetration there's so many things to do and yeah i'm sure you've seen this in your practice too where like it just it just gives you this idea uh or rather a snapshot of how people are just not using their erotic imaginations and so people like us exist because we have to like wake that imagination up for them and say hey have you, ever about, have, have you ever thought about doing this or doing, doing something this way or that way? Or like, even the idea of using pervertibles, which I absolutely love, is like common household items that you can just turn into sex, you know, sex objects. For a lot of people, that's way out there because they're like, what? I can use a spatula to spank? Like, why would we do that? We use this to flip pancakes, but it's like, but you could totally use this to, you know, spank cakes too, you know? And, and it could be fun. And so people kind of get in a rut in their relationships. And it's like, well, how do we spice it up? And it's like, use your imagination. You get to use your imagination in sex just as much as you used it when you were a child, like playing with imaginary friends or, you know, imagining what your life is going to look like as an adult. It's like we become adults and we forget how to dream. We forget how to like just let our minds just roll free. And, and then when it comes to sex, it's like when we 
feel the desire or the urge or when we notice like we haven't had sex in a while, we go to do the thing and then automatically we just assume, oh, it's all supposed to just kick in and it doesn't just kick in if you're not focusing on it um, and keeping that part of your brain like exercised and, and moist <laughs> for a lack of a better term. But like, you know, it, it has to be, it has to be massaged and just like an exercise. It just tended to more often than just the moment where you're like, all right, let's have sex now. It's not, it's not like a button you can just press and then everything just floods into your mind. So I'm grateful that people like us exist because I don't know what people would do <laughs> um, aside from like, you know, reading articles and going down the rabbit holes online, which could be kind of scary, <laughs> but I don't know what they would do if they didn't have us. We call it flicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five finger shuffle and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. Yeah, I um, I, I like the idea of imagination. I actually don't use the word imagination enough. I, I lean on the word curiosity. Like I tell people to just lean into their curiosity when it comes to sex. And um, and I, I, I use the word exploration and experimentation quite a lot. Um, but I love the idea of, of erotic imagination. I think that's something I want to start utilizing a bit more. And I've long said that the kitchen is a treasure trove of sex toys. Like pretty much everything in the it kitchen is. can be used in the bedroom as well. Just you got to be creative enough um so I, i'm glad that you brought that in as well and there's like um like you you kind of um prompted me to reflect on like what does if someone says to me like oh what if like you know if ejaculation is not there like how do we know if sex is finished what that indicates to me is like how centered the male partner's experiences in that like sexual interaction, right? Yes. Like the, the term phallocentrism yes. comes to mind. Like it's just whether like, and it's the same, the same story about like, oh, if, if he doesn't have an erection, then we can't have sex, right? Because obviously, you know, the, the narrow definition of sex there being a penis in a vagina. And then if he ejaculates, then that's the end of sex, right? Like it's his, it's centering his experience rather than like um, the, the, the pleasure of the, 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 the people involved, I suppose. So, and like I say to guys as well, like, like even if you do ejaculate, Mate, you've got fingers, you've got a tongue, you've got feet, you've got toys, you've got the rest of your body. Sex doesn't have to finish like, you know, when you've ejaculated, you can keep on going. And typically, if you go for another 15 minutes after a refractory period is finished, you'll get an erection again. And the next time you have penetrative sex, you'll probably last longer as well. It'll be, you'll be less sensitive. You're able to go for round two and you'll be able to get that second ejaculation. Um, and so, yeah, this idea of yeah, sex finishing at the at that first ejaculation is yeah just indicates to me like how centered still his experience is in in the in that kind of whole um, that whole couple dynamic, which is yeah which is problematic, right? It's it it's um it kind of takes the 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 agency and the pleasure away from the the woman in that that couple. So um, yeah, I do work around that as well. And there's like um, I suppose like the the question I wanted to like I suppose like point blank ask you is like what do you uh, what do you do with these women that maybe get um, offended by or like maybe have maybe get triggered by or have some sort of like resistance to their male partner not ejaculating, right? They go, oh, well then, you know, what, is, what does that mean he didn't like me? Or have they, they have those stories come up? How do you kind of work with them on those stories? I always ask them like, where did that come from? You know, where did that idea come from? So I, I helped them go down the rabbit hole and finding the root of where that belief even began, because that's not something that they actually believe. That's something that they picked up somewhere. So I do a lot of work with my clients on the mental piece because I'm like, I can teach you all the things, but if you don't tap in to where this stuff came from and then return it back to sender, 
then no matter what, these thoughts are going to keep coming up every time you have sex. And it's going to cause you to feel separate from your partner because you're going to look at them as an enemy and not a teammate in pleasure. And so, you know, and then I help them see the truth. I'm like, at the, at the base of it all, ejaculation is for procreation and it's attached to his orgasm, but it's not attached to his pleasure. Pleasure can still be experienced without that. And so, and then I always ask them like, what do you think this means about you? Like, don't, don't make his ejaculation or his ability to, you know, get an erection about you because it's not. You both are literally coming to the same space with two different experiences. He is going through something completely different than you in his body and mind. Likewise, you're coming to the table with something completely different going on in your mind and body. And because you're coming together for the same goal, which is to have a good fucking time, right? You think you're having the same experience and you're not. And so it's very easy to, because uh, especially like when you're in a monogamous relationship to think that, oh, my partner, my partner's arousal is my responsibility. And it's like, you're a partner in that, but it's literally not your responsibility. Their pleasure isn't even your responsibility. You get to partner with them in that experience. And so just kind of like explaining these things and breaking it down in a way that makes sense and just like checking in and asking them at these points, like, what are you feeling? What's happening right now? Because when you give people this information, just all this stuff comes up and they start to like think about past experiences. And so I try to like be gentle with that process because if you, if you bombard them with too much, it's like, Oh my God, spiral. Um, <laughs> so just being gentle with it and then just asking them to just do a little more examination of like, where is this coming from? And just helping them, giving them something else that's more, uh, that's healthier for them to integrate, to replace the thoughts that are keeping them or making them feel separate from their partners. And it's interesting because you said something about um, like the erection, right? Like <clears throat> the erection and ejaculation being like the very like you know, centralized in the sexual experience for heteronormative couples. And it's like, I've personally had experiences where like, in the past when I was younger and less educated about these things where I would get very upset about erection loss. And I'll say like, I, I experienced this a lot in my personal life because men are intimidated. <laughs> so, and they will swear up and down. Like I have references. This doesn't happen. I can call someone right now. I'm like, it's fine. You don't have to do any of that. And so because I'm a, a kinkster, you know, I'm kinky. I'm like, look, your penis doesn't have to be involved in this at all. There's so many things that we can do that will make me feel good and you would be turned on by it too if you just let me teach you this and show you the way to do it. Um, and so I think if women uh, really focus on what makes them feel good and if, you know, going back to what we said earlier, like expanding their idea around what sex looks like, right? Then there won't be so much pressure placed on getting the erection or getting to the ejaculation, you know, and then also they won't feel uh, that like guilt or shame or um, they won't feel inadequate around how his body performs or how his body responds because now they're in it for themselves and they're focused on, you know, what do I want out of this experience? And Cause I, so many women are just like, well, I want to please him. I want to please him. And it's like, that's great that you want to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And what are you receiving out of the entire situation? Are you being satisfied? Are you just showing up to do things because you're like, well, you know, it's like a, a reciprocation type vibe where it's like, well, you did this, you did this for me. I'm going to do this for you. And I'm like, you know, that can kind of move into like obligatory space where you feel like you have to do it now since your partner did, did this for you. And like, literally you could just receive head and that just be it. Be like, okay, that was great. Thank you for that. And just leave it at that and not feel any pressure to have to return the favor, especially if it's not something you want to do. 
maybe find a different way to connect sensually or sexually that um, will still bring your partner pleasure, but without the feeling of, well, I gotta go do this now because it was done to me, you know? And so there's, there's so many things to like calm through when it comes to getting to the root. And it's interesting because like people, people don't know what sex coaching looks like. And the process that goes into it, because they just want to get to the fun, the fun part, right? It's like, let's get to the big sucking part. Let's get to the, you know, let's get to the writing part or whatever part that they, you know, the, the technique part. And I'm like, relax, <laughs> we'll get there. Let's talk about this stuff first. So, I, and it's very helpful too, Cam, for, for men to help their partners understand that how their bodies perform is not about them. If they hear it from their partners, oh my God, you know how much pressure it will take off of women to just like relax and just be present and just be. And because it's like that awkward silence <laughs> that can sometimes happen where like, you know, something missed the mark, right? It just didn't happen. And, and then you don't talk about it. So then you're sitting over there in your head making up all these shitty stories that are not true. And then your partner is just like thinking something very basic. <laughs> like, I'm hungry now. Let me go have a sandwich or whatever. But then you're literally thinking, sorry, my dog is like it's okay. being our dog. <laughs> um, so yeah, if, if like men were to just be like, relax, it's not about you. It's literally me so many women would like not drive themselves crazy with things that literally don't even exist. Yeah. Yeah. I really resonate with that. And like a simple, a simple example of that, as you were saying it, that popped into my head is like just education around arousal non-concordance. Like you can be turned on and not have an erection or you can have an erection and not be turned on. Like, Guys kind of intuitively know that. They know that they've had erections where they haven't been turned on. They're like, what the hell is going on here? And vice versa. Plenty of guys have been in a situation, I assume, where they've been really turned on, but they haven't had an erection. Um, and like, just like being able to say that, being able to be like, hey, I'm actually like super turned on right now. My body just hasn't caught up. Like, there's other things we can do. That just diffuses a lot of anxiety, diffuses a lot of tension and can can eliminate th- those stories, right? Because we run stories about like, what does this mean? Does he not like me? Am I not, is he not turned on? Is this whatever, right? Um, so, being able to be upfront about that and just say like, hey, this is happening. It's not a big deal. Like, we can do other stuff can be uh, an amazing. And I, the way that I frame that for a lot of guys is like sexual leadership. And it's not leadership that's hierarchical. It's leadership that's like horizontal. Um, and you're kind of leading by example and you're leading by comfortability and by by being vulnerable as well. Um, and so, it's a um, yeah, it's a really, a really powerful thing for, for men to do as you're so beautifully sharing. And um, there's... Um, I wanted to ask a little bit more about Joey Badass and like what he said because there's something there's something here that I didn't see anyone really talking about, but I've noticed it a little bit in like particularly when I talk to men about semen retention that are maybe a bit more on the spiritual side of things. They may be a little bit more down the kind of tantra dogma rabbit hole, which is the mentality that tends to creep in, which is that if he ejaculates, it's his partner's fault it's her fault and she made him come and it's like almost like almost like sh- almost like she's like a bit of an energy vampire like it's almost like it's quite shame shamey and there's just like this yeah not not a not a conducive attitude i feel like that starts to kind of come in a little bit towards like that more dogmatic side of the semen retention mentality if, I, I don't know if you've noticed that at all if you does that kind of make sense what i'm what i'm saying it does. And I have seen this like creeping into social media space within the last few years where, you know, it's like spiritual shaming. And it's so weird that this even exists. But like the, the, the idea that like, for instance, you know, if women have sex with a bunch of men uh, or a bunch of partners, then they're like carrying all these souls and spirits and, you know, all these things and they can't get rid of it. And then it's the same with like, you know, men who are on the spiritual path of like practicing retention, this idea that like, that coming is bad. Coming is not bad. I mean, you know, technically like in the Tantra, the tradition, they say you're supposed to come um, 
every like 56 days or something like that. And so it's like you're injaculating, you're just recycling it within yourself. And, and it's about separating the orgasm from the ejaculatory process. But like um, this idea that someone else outside of yourself is making you do anything, it's not taking ownership over your own body. It's giving away your agency. Like to say, oh, this woman is making me do this. It's like, actually you have control over that. And so if you're not taking ownership of that, you're just scapegoating at this point. And that's not healthy, you know? And when people move into that space, when it comes to semen retention, it's like, now you're entering into a fear space. Fear has no place in this. This is, it's, this is not what it's about, you know? Um, and the idea that like women are intentionally being vampires, it's like, Women have learned this programming from pornography, from pop culture, from their personal experiences that have also been influenced by pop culture and pornography. And so to just say that a woman trying to make you come is her trying to steal your energy, not to say that there aren't people out there who are very aware of this and know how to do that, but the average woman out here is not doing that. She's just programmed in this way to be attached to your come and instead of shaming her for that or you know wearing crosses and just being like get out of here <laughs> it's like, educate her around why you're doing this and how it benefits you and how it benefits her as well because it's not just for the man you know so many women are like well and you know on average couples are having penetrative sex for about five to ten minutes for a lot of people that's okay and that's enough for them um and so but for the women who are like i need more i need longer time like and it's a natural form of birth control oh my gosh imagine not having to be at war with your own body as a woman having to take these pills that literally throw off your natural process right it's like you get to have a partner who is orgasming with you not like saying, all right, let me roll over and take a nap really quick and then I'll be back with you. Like being able to keep up with you if you are one that has stamina, you know? And so just, it's, it's just so much education needed. And, but I just, I really, I really don't like when it's like they get it, right? It's like, yes, you're doing the thing. But then it's like, what, mom? oh man, <laughs> you just went into a space that is completely beyond the point of what you're practicing now you're looking at women as you know like a spiritual enemy instead of your partner and pleasure and that is a sign that that man still has more work to do it's like maybe he's gotten maybe he's gotten the the process down but what it's really intended for he has not truly connected with yet and so when i do hear that i'm like you still got more work to do, buddy. But but good for you. Like that's great that you reached that pinnacle. <laughs> yeah, that and that that like strikes me as this. Um, you've said this a couple of times. And I really really resonate with it. Which is like a lot of people are like just looking for the technique. They're just looking for the the, the practice, and they don't and they don't realize that there's a whole bunch of work before that, or maybe complementary to that, which is like all the mentality, all the attitude, all the emotionality side of things, which you've got to do work on, right? And that's a lot of the lot of the times, that's what I get. Guys come to me, they want the technique to last longer. They want the technique to give her more orgasms. They want the technique to not ejaculate or whatever it is. And, um, and I can do that. I can be like, here's the technique, right? You go out and do this. But if that doesn't like- if they're not changing their attitude towards sex, then that technique's got, it's not going to do much, right? Like it's not going to change their sexual experiences. It's, it's not going to really alter the way that they approach sex because their mentality about sex is still the same. Um, and so I, that's the kind of what that strikes me as is like someone, as you kind of said, someone's got the process down, um, but their attitude about women, their attitude about sexuality, their attitude about masculinity and femininity is still at the same Maybe it's changed a little bit, but it's still relatively similar to where it was before they started doing the kind of tantric practices, I suppose. That's that's like what that, that speaks to me as, yeah. And it sucks because they try to like, then they get into the space of like spiritual superiority where they like to hang this stuff over people's heads. Like, I'm so enlightened. I've reached a level. It's like, no, sir, you come back down. 
there's you skip some steps. And what's interesting is a lot of people will come across this information in books and online, and then they'll just start doing the process, right? And that is the mistake. In all the books, in the beginning, it says you need to do this with a practitioner. Otherwise, you're literally, you're literally just doing the technique. You're not actually tapping into the spiritual essence of what this is. It's really semen retention is also used as a form of healing for the male body, you know? And I'm like, how can you just skip, skip over that? But I mean, I get it. The society that we live in and just like how focused we are on like, you know, solutions and like getting to the thing. I get it. And like, don't do the whole superior spiritual person thing when you literally have not mastered the spiritual principles of the practice and you're just doing the technique. It's, I'm saying that so much and I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I talk about this without, um, you know, coming off as if I'm shaming them and still like applauding them for the work that they're doing, but then also saying, but wait, there's more. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, that's the, that's <laughs> the bane of my life as well as like trying to get men, particularly, particularly men, of course, to like, um, to open up more about their sexuality and about the stories that they have about their sexuality. And like, I, um, you know, I was speaking before about like, you know, I could just give them the techniques. And sometimes I do, if I'm like, if it's the end of a long day and I'm a bit you know, blunt about it. I'll just say like, buy a, buy a vibrator, right? For your partner, you know? And, um, and like, that's a strategy, right? And, and so like they'll, and now they might do it. They might go and buy the vibrator. They might try to use it with their partner. But if their approach to sex hasn't been like worked on, if their mentality around sexuality and masculinity in particular hasn't been worked on, they haven't you know, been introspective and looked at that, then, they can buy the vibrator, but it's going to like bring up a bunch of shit for them. And they'll probably be very reluctant to use it. They'll probably be very, very resistant to use it. Um, and they might even not use it, right? Um, and they might even shame their partner for using it, right? Because of all the stuff that's going on internally for them. Um, and so, like, that's my, that, that's a lot of the work that I do really is just challenging a lot of those stories that men have and getting them to open up a bit more. And so, um, I was wondering if you um, had like, I'm sure you've got a lot to say, but is there like something that you think is really important to mention with regards to like men feeling threatened by sex toys? There's something else there as well that I wanted to, to touch on, which is like sex toys being shamed by people that are spiritual and into Tantra and, and Tantric practices as well, because there seems to be a bit of a shaming going on. So, there's two two questions there, I suppose, if you wanted to speak into one of those. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's, let's speak to the, um, the men feeling intimidated piece first. Um, you know, what's interesting, Cam, the fact that there is a broad spectrum of sex toys, right? The only toys that get shamed are vibrators, not whips, chains, handcuffs, blindfolds, sex furniture, any of the things that a couple can use together and um you know experience together that's not like high functioning but vibrators because they literally have the power to uh, penetrate underneath the skin and and stimulate the internal clitoris in a way that can bring on orgasms very quickly men feel intimidated by that because they're like oh i can't do that with my mouth or fingers or any of that you know and I'm like, okay, the thing is, this toy is literally an inanimate object until a person picks it up and turns it on and then uses it in a particular way to stimulate and bring pleasure. Why would you, a human being who has to be behind the function of this device, allow this inanimate thing to cause you to feel fear or intimidation or to feel like it can replace you. A machine can never replace human connection. It just cannot. Can it do some amazing things in helping us experience pleasure? Absolutely. But when it comes to that intimidation factor, the question is why? Why are you feeling like this? And if it's because you're saying, well, I can't 
perform that quickly. Well, stop comparing yourself. Because honestly, truly, toys are meant to be in partnership with. And granted, um, you know, toys can be used solo, completely fine. But when it's in a partner situation, it can assist you <laughs> in just making sure that your partner is having the, the best experience ever. You know, I always thought it was uh, more so a reflection on that person's mentality and even revealing some of their deeper insecurities around their ability to connect and uh, bring their partner pleasure more so than it is about the thing. Because it's literally, it means nothing until you put it into action. And, you know, a sex toy, depending on what kind of toy it is, it can be used on different parts of the body. So it's like, you know, in the way that it shows up, in the way that it's able to assist in pleasure, it's all determined by the person who's using it. So why are you allowing this thing to literally make you feel shook? There is no reason for that aside from the stories you're making up in your mind about it. And so, you know, if they looked at the toys as partners, vibrators specifically, because, you know, if you're just getting it to kick, you're like, oh, let me get this flogger, let me get this paddle. It's like, you're excited about those things, but the vibrators, it's like, they get all the flack. And then the spiritual people, like, goodness gracious me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Same rules apply. So, what I've noticed is like when you when people get on the spiritual path, there is this hard bend away from um, certain things. And it's like when we go into the spiritual space and we're teaching Tantra, we're teaching people how to like reconnect with their bodies, specifically with breath, um, with meditation and then using our fingers, like getting back to just like the, the, the different sensations and like gentle touches Um, And so then there's like this idea that toys are the enemy. And I'm like, well, you're only saying that about vibrators, because when you are teaching Tantra and you're uh, teaching Tantric masturbation and you're teaching your clients how to go internal to work those internal erogenous zones or to work through spots that are trauma spots and that are showing up as painful, you're using internal devices you're using a honey dipper or you're using a rose quartz wand or you're using yoni eggs and so all of these things are okay but if it's a vibrator now all of a sudden it's this idea oh you're damaging yourself by you know using these high vibrations and you're not damaging yourself but you are training your body to respond a certain way and show up um, you're expecting your body to respond and show up in a certain way based on this vibration. And so um, what I love about like authentic Tantra specifically is like, you know, we do what's called the orgasmic awareness practice where we practice the ocean breath and we're using uh, different like finger strokes on the clitoris to bring ourselves pleasure, but not to reach an orgasm. And so that, that purpose is to feel the process of engorgement, you know, the, the erections happening and just to feel your body going through these different waves of pleasure. And then also noticing when you're holding your breath and when you're tensing up and then being able to just relax into the pleasure rising. And then after the practice is over, we're like, you can go use a vibrator if you want you know, so you can finish yourself off. So we look at toys as a partnership, not like the main stage, but in partnership. And so it's just very strange to me when people in the spiritual space just like go so far left. I'm like, chill out, like <laughs> chill out. We, we tell people who are very much so attached to toys, uh, vibrators specifically, to take a break from them while they are reconnecting to their body but again it's the same thing it's like this thing literally has no power until you charge it up you turn it on and you use it on your body why are we putting all this emphasis on this thing as if it's causing the issue when it's how we are using it or how we are viewing it that's really the issue so that's and you're like you're like breaking up some really good stuff because i see these discussions all the time and i'm like oh my 
God. <laughs> <laughs> I get it all the time as well. I talk about toys a lot and I'm, I'm really passionate about like destigmatizing male sex toys for masturbation, like strokers and artificial oh, vaginas yes. and things like that because there's a lot of stigma for men to use it solo. So yeah. And so like every time I talk about it, I someone, someone says something. Yeah, I, I do as well. But, you know, that's – Especially like, you know, being able to like bring it bring it in. Like it's it, – yeah, there's a whole bunch of benefits I, I talk about all the time. But like something that I, I think is like interesting is like the um, – yeah, I love the idea of it's just the vibrators that get changed because, like, you know, you can do all this other stuff that your that your hands can't do, like by using wands and eggs and things like you you can't do that. That's not quote unquote natural, right? That's the that's the, the argument that often gets brought up is like, oh, that's not natural. It's not natural. It's like, well, neither is you know a long crystal wand. Like that's not natural. Those things that they're not found in nature, you know. So like the, the argument's just so bunk to me. So, uh, but but the um, it's bizarre. Yeah, it is bizarre. It is bizarre. But the uh, the idea of like. Um, Oh, where was I going to go with this? Is something I wanted to share. Um, oh, the idea of like um, variety is really important. That's what I often emphasize. It's like if you're, I say this to guys, even if they're using just their hand to masturbate, like if you're only masturbating just up and down friction based, no lube, just furiously masturbating up and down and that's every single time, like you're going to condition yourself to experience pleasure by like that stimulation. And then when you get to have sex with a partner, it might you, you might struggle to, to feel aroused or you might struggle to feel enough pleasure or it might be too overstimulating because you've never experienced that type of stimulation but like because you've only had this one pathway that you've just habitually ingrained, right? And so and similar with a, with a vibrator. If you use a vibrator every single time, you're conditioning yourself to experience pleasure through that. That's, it doesn't matter whether it's a vibrator or a, a crystal wand or you know, it's similar with porn. Like if guys are watching porn every single time they masturbate, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with watching porn so long as it's done ethically. But like if you're using it every single time, you're conditioning yourself to externalize every single time to what's on screen. You're not giving yourself an opportunity to explore variety in a diverse bunch of pathways of pleasure. So that's what I often emphasize when people start to talk about like desensitization and da damaging and all this other crap. I'm like, well, how about we just how about we just uh, you know, encourage a bunch of different experiences? And that way you can use a vibrator once here and then not a vibrator here. And then you can use porn here and then no porn there. And you can use your hands just here and you can use no genital tip stimulation here and you can use lube there and you can use no lube here and just explore, right? It comes back to what we were saying before, that imagination, yes. right? That curiosity, Expanding, that experimentation. Yes. Yeah, totally, yeah. And that's what I feel like the bulk of my um, work like boils down to is is like- Firstly, giving people permission to, to to try things. Like a lot of people will, will say to me, especially like younger men will say to me, oh, "I really do. I do this when I masturbate. Like, is that weird of me? Is that wrong?" And um, and and it's like, firstly, even if it is weird, who the fuck cares? Um, secondly, it's not wrong because you're you're not hurting anyone. You're doing it with your own body. Like it's it's fine. Like you you're you're exploring your own pleasure. And like. Yeah, a lot of it is like, is it normal? Like, is this, is this a normal thing for me to do? And I was like, it's like, who who gets to define what normal is? Like, you're you're the person that's exploring your pleasure. It's for you. It's not for anyone else. Like, if you're doing it by yourself and it's not hurting anyone, who gives a who gives a fuck whether it's normal or not? And who who cares what people define as normal? And um, typically, typically, what they're what they're afraid of is like people labeling them as something like, especially like a lot of the heterosexual guys that I work with, they're, they're afraid of being labeled gay. Like that's, there's a lot of internalized homophobia. Um, and so like, if they, if I tell them to explore their body, like if they're getting to touch their nipples and their chest or their face, or God forbid, I tell them to touch their ass, then there's a whole bunch of fear that comes up around, you know, it, what if, what if, what if someone finds out, you know, and, and they call me gay. So there's, there's a lot of fear. And I think you mentioned this before as well. There's a lot of fear. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame because men are not tapping into their full sexual potential or pleasure potential because like, oh my gosh, nipples, what? I love turning a man on to the fact that his nipples are an erogenous zone. And before I go there, I always like ask like, have you ever had your nipples played with? It's either, oh no, I've never had that. Or it's yes, I really love it, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's the most beautiful thing to see men just like be free in allowing their bodies to be explored and just like sinking into uh, those feelings of pleasure. It's, it's the most beautiful thing. And I, 
you know, I'm, I am praying that we get to a day when just like it is just a baseline, um, this baseline acceptance around men exploring all parts of their bodies, even their asses. Like, my God, there are so many nerve endings there. And then the, the G-spot, the male G-spot, the prostate, it's like, yo, it's there. It's waiting for you to explore it. If you just get beyond this idea that it's gay, it's not gay. It's, it's pleasure seeking. There, when you're, like you said, it's not wrong when you're exploring yourself, you're doing it ethically, you're doing it safely. It's your own body and no one else has to know who else is in the bedroom with you aside from your partner or partners if you're into group sex thing. <laughs> so, you know, there, again, the mindset, it's like once, once we lock in with that and we can help rewire and restructure some things, then this whole world just opens up and now sex becomes really exciting. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't feel like this has to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, the, even if it is gay, there's nothing wrong with being gay. Like, that's something that I have to say to men. Wrong. Like, just I am gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just it, it just it, it like it just yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of I deal with it a lot actually. Uh, online is like that, especially guys, young men. That that kind of homophobia pops up quite a lot. I'm on TikTok now and go. Oh my god, it's it's rife with um with just yeah homophobia. I'm so not ready for TikTok. No, no, uh, Tommy. It's it's I'm not ready for it's, TikTok. It's rough. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a wasteland out there. I tell you that. Um. So yeah, but but it, it's an indication that we've still got. A job, you know, we're still going to have a job to for, yes. yeah, exactly. So, uh, we're still, we're never going to be out of work. That's for sure. Um, uh, and nope. I'm, I'm just mindful of time and I just wanted to like maybe wrap up with, we've, we've, we've touched on so much, but is there like golden pieces of advice, like nuggets of wisdom that you just love to share that you think everyone needs to hear? Maybe if you could plaster it up on a billboard so that everyone driving by could see it, like, do you have anything like that you would like to close this conversation down with? Oh my gosh, um, you know, the only standard is pleasure. Like, because people are always like, is this normal? Is this weird? Is this, is this, is this? And it's like, it's whatever you want it to be. If it feels good to you, that's the standard. There is no other standard but what you set for yourself. Take your time, don't rush. Like, there is this imaginary goal that I think people feel like they have to reach or they should be at a certain point in their sexual experience, especially those who are adult versions. Uh, virgins, they feel like, well, you know, I, I should be doing this thing right now. And it's like, who said that? Take your time. You arrive at these things whenever you are ready. And when you're ready, it's going to be available for you. And it's a whole world for you to explore. So just take your time and then recognize that things are going to change. What you were attracted to at 19 is not going to be the same thing at 29 or 39 or 49. And your sex life doesn't stop in your youth. It only stops when you want it to or when you say it does. Because you can be 80 years old and still experiencing sexual pleasure, either solo or with a partner. Because, you know, there's a lot of shaming, too, like around the, the gray community interacting in sex. And it's like, who said <laughs> sex stops when you become an elder? It doesn't. And so those are my nuggets of advice, because I, I think like those four things, if people really just let those integrate and sink in, it would take so much pressure off of showing up a certain way or performing a certain way. It's like, there is no performance. It's just pleasure. Enjoy yourself, explore, take your time. Yep, I fucking love that. Um, shifting away from performance and focusing on pleasure, 100% and behind you on that. And I, I endorse that message for sure. Um, I want to say a massive thank you for just spending time. I, I know you're very busy and I, I appreciate you've just you know arrived in New York as well. So I really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with me and just like shoot the shit and um, and share some really incredible advice. It's been really lovely to, to connect with you and speak with you. I'm, I'm just very humbled and very grateful. 
Oh, thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. You know, I love the work that you do. Like I say, keep going. Like, I, you know, I follow you on Instagram and I like, I've been seeing your journeys into TikTok. I'm like, ooh, that looks scary. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm happy that you're like, you're sticking it out and like you're doing your thing there and just like helping to raise the consciousness um, of you know, cishet men, because like we're in this time now where it's it's required, like we can't be complicit anymore. We have to like stand up and say, OK, let's shift this. So keep doing an awesome job. Thanks for having me. This was this was wonderful. No worries. Thank you, Tiami. I'll talk to you real soon. Take it easy. All right. See you. Bye. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.